You remember last week I was talking about Jesus being a human. Anybody remember that message at all? The, the humanness of Jesus and how the Lord really wants us to embrace our humanness because he was a human as well as being God. But he didn't, uh, he didn't hide his humanness. The Bible doesn't hide Jesus' humanness. He didn't hide when he was tired. He didn't hide, hide when he was hungry. He didn't hide when he was thirsty. He didn't hide when he needed other people to help him. And I think that's just a, you know, the revelation that God wants people to get so we quit being so dogged, stupid acting about spiritual things, okay? And quit trying to be super spiritual all the time and get real. And if we could do that, then we could probably reach a lot more people. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We could reach people because people could relate to us and see that we're just as real as them and we've suffered just like they've suffered. We walk in the same oppressive world like they walk in, but we... Uh, also have a supernatural side to us that we've tapped into and that we're living from. You see what I'm saying? You see, we don't just leave, we're not just defeated humans. We're humans that have something supernatural that we've tapped into. And Christians of all people, really, God wants us to get that. He wants us to live the way He lives, do what He did, meaning He wants us to be human and super spiritual at the same time because He was very super spiritual. Amen? And he's given us a great example of that in the Bible. So one of the things that's fascinating to me is Jesus' conversations with people in the Bible. If you ever study, he's had many conversations with a lot of people, and those conversations are always revealing. Okay, and One thing you'll notice about Jesus when he talks to people, he doesn't talk to every person the same way. Okay, He treats every person differently because he reach, he speaks to every person where they're at, who they are, where they've come from, the condition of their life. And that's really is, is a beautiful thing about Jesus. He if when you when the Lord visits you and when the Lord speaks to you, he's going to visit and speak to you on terms that you can hear and embrace. One thing that amazes me is uh when you hear somebody speaking or preaching is Everybody's hearing something a little different. In fact, I've had people tell me like stuff that I said, and they were telling, explaining to me like what God was saying to them. I was thought, really? I wasn't. That wasn't what I was talking about at all. But I don't tell them that because that was what God was talking to them about. Amen. And so God wants to talk to people and reveal Himself to them, where they can hear Him and catch what He's saying to them. And that's really the thing. Well, this. I wanted to finish this conversation about the at the woman at the well, okay, that I started. It was uh, last week. I started talking to you about, I just got down to that part where Jesus said in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to drink, draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, because he was tired and thirsty from the from the journey. And in the next verse, it says his disciples had went into town to get food. So that was sort of the thing that really st- stuck out to me was was that, and I think really um, my whole th- thought is is God really has a wealth of, of the kingdom that he wants to give to people uh, when we learn how to live uh, both humbly and uh, richly, and where we could live either way, like Paul said in Philippians 4, we could live either way. And be and still be a person that can carry his riches, 
we could be going through the worst moment in our life, but we can still carry His riches in the worst moment of our life. Most of the time when we get into a mess in our life, we kind of pull back, right? Some, sometimes you need to pull back because you need to get your, you know, you need to deal with yourself. But staying pulled back is a terrible lie from hell. You know, you pull back, you get yourself dealt with, you speak to yourself like David said he spoke to his soul. Then you get up and you go on with what, what's real. Otherwise, you'll stay somewhere that God didn't put you. You'll stay somewhere that God didn't put you, and you'll miss some of the blessings, at least, in that season in your life. And so that's why Paul said that he had learned how to be abound and learn how to be abased, because he knew how to walk in whatever. Now, so this woman at the well is uh, one of the longest conversations that Jesus had with a person in the New Testament. Maybe the longest conversation, one-on-one conversation he had with, with anybody in the New Testament. And he had lots of conversations with different people. If you think about the different people, of course he had them with his disciples. Uh, there were other people also, like this woman. Uh, there were people, I can remember the one that sticks out to me, this dad whose son was being thrown into the fire. And that brief conversation Jesus had with that desperate, desperate person uh, you know, it just really speaks so much to me. Uh, one of the ways you can really capture this is put yourself in that person's place. Don't just read it as words, but set yourself down into that and see. I know many parents have been desperate at, the, at moments in their life, and it's really interesting when you put yourself into that and see the responses of Jesus to p- different people. Another fascinating conversation is the one he had with Martha in Luke 10, the whole issue that Martha was having about Mary, which most people think it had something to do with sitting at Jesus' feet, resting, which really is not really what it was really telling us there, although that's a good revelation to sit at Jesus' feet. But really, I've told you all this before, haven't I? Let me just tell you. In that day, for a person to sit at at a... Jesus was considered a rabbi by everybody by the people, by the religious organization, because he went around and taught. That's what rabbis did. That's why they called him rabbi. For, for a person to sit at his feet meant they were his disciples. Totally taboo and not permitted in that culture for a woman to sit at Jesus' feet with the men. It would bring scandal on the family. And that was really the real issue Martha was having in there is she realized her sister was doing something that was going to create havoc for her, and she wanted her out of there, so she made an excuse to Jesus, hey, I need help in the kitchen. And Jesus was making one of the greatest women's liberation statements that has been made in the history of mankind. He freed women to sit at his feet and be his followers. That was really what that Luke 10 was really teaching people. Yeah, I mean, it's a very powerful story when you really see. Now, I think the thing about sitting at Jesus, resting versus working and all that, all that's good stuff, right? But really, there was a greater revelation that God was trying to teach, teach us is that he, any person can sit at his feet. Any person can be his disciple. And he could care less what everybody else thinks. You know, he could care less what the social cultural structure of that day was communicating. Yeah, and so this woman, 
is, um, because it's the longest conversation, it probably is a person that many people could relate to. Um, the woman at the well. Many, I think many people, I, I love this story because I relate so well with this woman. Okay, we don't really know much about the woman. This, we do know she was a Samaritan, which a Samaritan was really, this is the term that was used. They were considered to be half-breeds. Now, that's an ugly word because they were a mixture between Jewish and Assyrian. That was where they came from. And they had a very mixed religion that they practiced that the Jews absolutely despised. In fact, Jews would not, they would walk three miles out of the way to not go through the cities of Samaria because it would defile them. They would get defiled. So what does Jesus do? He walks right into the middle of the place and finds a good spot to sit down knowing that something's going to happen. Okay? Or maybe not knowing. We don't really know. It doesn't tell us. He was Jesus. He knew, lots of, he knew whatever he wanted to know. But so this woman was a reject from the Jewish perspective there was a, a lot of animosity, a lot of wars that were fought between the Sumerians and the, and the Jews. I mean, they were always messing with each other's temple. You know, the Jews destroyed their temple one time. The Samaritans went and took a bunch of dead bone, people's bones, right on the verge of Passover, their greatest uh, day, and they threw it in their temple so they couldn't do Passover because they wouldn't go in there because it was, they'd be defiled. So there was just all this conflict between them. And so Jesus, Jesus goes to this place, and he sits there, down in the middle of the day. Now, so here comes this woman by herself, okay, to get water. Now, this is interesting. Getting water in that day was done by the women, generally speaking, and it was a so, pretty much a social event for women. The women would actually do it together because, one, it was a time for them to sort of socialize with each other, you know, sort of you know, like the Starbucks thing that women go meet for coffee. That would be equivalent to their Starbucks. They were going to go hang out and have a cup of coffee. They did it, one, for protection, two, for social, three, because when they, gathered, when they got the water, they needed help to get it up on their shoulder. They needed each other's help to get up on their shoulder to carry it back home. And they only did it early in the morning or late in the evening. They didn't do it in the middle of the day or any other time during the day because it was hot, and they never did it alone. So that really tells us something about this woman. It tells us that she not only she was from a Jewish eyes, she was a, an outcast or reject from her own people, she was, a, she was an outcast. She didn't fit in. She, that's why she came alone. And so she didn't fit in anywhere, really. I mean, she was a person who was rejected and didn't feel loved, didn't feel valued in her life. And so she would come in the middle of the day when nobody was around, get her water, go back, slink back home. And so... When Jesus was there, she has this encounter with Jesus. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people feel that way in their heart. 
Now, she has a serious, you know, past, which I'm going to talk about in a minute with all her different husbands and stuff. But a lot of people, you know, don't feel like they fit in. A lot of people feel rejected. They feel like they don't measure up. I remember when I spent most of my life feeling that way, actually, growing up. And it really creates a lot of problems for people when you feel that way because you wind up doing a lot of things because you don't feel like you're accepted. And so you'll do things to be accepted and loved that you wouldn't normally normally do, right? I think we all probably have that understanding. Um, I remember when I, got, when I got saved, you know, I was really thankful, you know, that I was saved. But I didn't never feel like I fit in fit into the church. I would, you know, I would go to church and I would look around me, and I felt like everybody here really loves God and everybody's worshiping the Lord. These are the most godly people there are. And and I, in my heart, I knew how bad I was, even as a Christian. I was dealing with, you know, all the things that I had, the way I had lived my life, and you know, I wasn't sitting in church thinking about the Lord while worship was going on. I was thinking about something else. And I felt guilty about it. I felt like, so I felt this thing in me that I didn't belong uh, and, felt re, and, and kind of felt rejected. Not, it wasn't anybody was rejecting me, but I felt rejected. And so I became rejected. You know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So even as a, as a young believer, I had this thing on me that I, was, I felt rejected, I felt abandoned, I felt, alo- I felt alone in my life. That's why for me... The revelation of the Father is essential in our life because He really is the only one that can really address that in us. And I spent a lot of my Christian life struggling to be accepted and be loved by the Christian community. Probably God also on some level. And it, and it was causing me to do things. You know, it was, everything was, came out of this heart. I, I had this need in me because we all have a need to be loved and accepted. Every person on this earth does. God created us for that. And because I didn't, I tried to get it through other things. Uh, Becky was even mentioning that she was at this retreat last week and this woman confessed that she was addicted to uh, acceptance, addicted to, what, to affirmation. She was addicted to affirmation that she had to have affirmation in everything she did. She needed somebody to tell her, that was really good what you did. And if they didn't, she would feel tormented in her heart. How many people know what I'm talking about? How many people are willing to say, I know that, I've been there. I've lived my life that way. Well, I did. For years as a pastor, I lived that way. That I, was tor- I was tormented in my heart because I was not affirmed in my heart. I was trying to get affirmation from people, which we need affirmation from people. We need acceptance and love from people. But if you don't have it settled between you and the Father, you will never get it. People could tell you a million times a day. Like I've always said, it's like pouring water into a bucket with a hole in it. All that affirmation, all that love is poured into your life, but you've got this gap and hole in your heart, and it's pouring right out on the ground. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, I know very well what I'm talking about. And that's what this woman was. She was that kind of person. And uh, are y'all good? This Psalm 80, verse 5. Can you put that up, Denise? This is from the New Living. This, this is sort of what her life... This is a Psalm, a verse I found that really, this really spoke to my heart. You have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have fed... See, there's a lot of people, that's the way their life feels to them. 
it feels like they're drinking their tears constantly. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning, or am I just talking to myself? <laughs> you know, is that, that your life is characterized by that, by those feelings. And that's the way what this woman was. She was alone. She was lonely. She wasn't loved by the Jewish race, nor was she loved by her own people. So there she was, this lonely person getting water, and there's Jesus. And usually what would happen when a man in public saw a woman like that and they, were, you know, they, weren't, and they weren't alone, the man would get up and move at least 20 feet away from her, which would tell her it was okay for her to get the water. But what does Jesus do? He just sits there. And she probably stood there for a minute thinking, well, he's not moving. I need water, so it doesn't matter. I mean, what have I got to lose? I'm already a loser. I've already lost everything. I don't have anything to lose. I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I'm just going to go get my water. And hopefully this guy won't mess with me. If he does, I'll take the water bottle and slap him upside the head with it. <laughs> she, she's probably a pretty tough gal, right? <laughs> so Jesus did did three things when he did that. All right, so number one, Jews weren't supposed to speak to Samaritans. Okay, so Jesus started breaking all these societal, cultural, and religious rules. And that, that's the first thing it is. You don't talk to them, much less ask them for a drink of water out of their water bottle. You, they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't even dare touch something that somebody else was drinking, much less speak to them. So he did that. Another thing is men, men were not permitted in that society to address a woman unless her husband was present publicly. They weren't, that's pretty, pretty rough, isn't it? You can't even talk to a girl unless her husband's standing there. And uh, then the third thing was rabbis were not supposed to speak to women, period. They wouldn't even speak to their own wife in public. They had rules against it. They even, one of the rules was he who speaks to women, speaking to rabbis, uh, is doomed to hell. That's basically what it says. You're going to hell for talking to all these women. They're going to drag you down. And, because women were considered to be bad, a lesser people. That's, and so if you start messing with these women, they're going to mess your life up. So don't even talk to them. That was their, their attitude. And so here's Jesus. He's breaking all these rules right up front. He was just like breaking every rule there was to break. Uh, and then in verse 9... The woman said to him, uh, how is it that you... Now, this woman was no fool. She was like, this dude, he's doing some crazy stuff here. How is it you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, here's the thing What we've got to see. Jesus was, was, was breaking the rules, but she wasn't. Okay? She wasn't breaking the rules. Like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be doing this. Why are you doing this? Now, I think it's really important, this is what I want, want you to see, is I want everybody to see this. Every one of us inside of us have these barriers in us or walls in us or, or things in us that hinder us. Like this woman had a racial issue, okay, and she had a cultural issue. It was a barrier in her that was between her and the Lord, okay? And Jesus was already saying, there's no barriers with me. There's no invisible walls. There's none of that stuff with me as far as you're concerned. But with her, she had them. Okay? And see, this is the thing that we've got to really begin to see about ourselves. Is we got things in our hearts that hinder us from being able to receive from the Lord. And we may not even know we have them until the Lord comes and exposes them to them. 
you know. I'll tell you one thing about black people. Black people, especially young black people, they will tell you, this is what they'll tell you. People, that I've had them tell me this. Y'all, y'all old, old white people, y'all are really racist. That's what they'll tell you. Y'all, y'all are just a bunch of racists. Now, they don't necessarily say that about younger white people. And I think most older white people probably understand why they say that. Because they really have known what's going on. See, that was... That was a racial barrier between black and white people in this country. You know, that's pretty pretty bad. And my generation was probably maybe the the ending of that from a from I hope so anyway. Anyways, let me go on and keep reading this. And Jesus then answered said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living waters. Okay, now this is really important. Jesus said this, If you knew the gift of God. So, what he was saying to her was this, I'm the gift of God. And that's really what he was saying. If you knew the gift of God, I'm the gift of God. And a lot of Christians, I think what Dean was saying was really right on. You know, it's Jesus it's the Messiah. Um, you know, for, for those people, the Samaritans, they did believe in the first five books of Moses, the Torah. That was their gift from God, was those five books of the Moses. That's who they consider. See, a lot of Christians, we figure, a lot of Christians have different things that are gifts from God to them. But he didn't say anything else. He didn't say the Bible's a gift. And I love the Bible, but he didn't say the Bible's a gift of God. He said, I'm the gift of God. Because really none of those other things are going to really help us ultimately. He's, he's going to help us, Him, the Lord Himself. And that's really the first thing He really went after in that woman was, I'm the gift of God, and I have something supernatural to give to you. But she had some issues. Let's go on. Are you all into this? The woman said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Now here's, so, so here she is. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? See, she had an intellectual, natural issue in her life. Jesus says to her, I can give you something. And her immediate question was, well, how in the world are you going to get that? That's a natural response, but it's an intellectual response. And so let me just say this. A lot of Christians, have, we have barriers in our heart. We have intellectual barriers to God. Because we are saying to God, Jesus is saying, I've got living waters to give you. And she's saying, well, you ain't got no bucket to get these living waters. See, when we, looking at, when we look at it, we think, well, that's ridiculous because he's not even talking about that water in the well. But that's exactly how we are when he speaks to us supernatural things. Is our minds are, are enrolling us and, and dictating us and begin to ask these natural questions. These were not, she was no dumb person. She was no idiot. This, it was a natural response. But Jesus was not looking for a natural response because he wasn't talking natural. So a lot of us have that barrier in us. There's people in this room. You're, your life is consumed spiritually because of your intellect. Your intellect's a wall. You know, a wall that's keeping the, Jesus out of your life and Jesus from doing in your life what he wants to do for you. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from himself as well as his sons and livestock? So she had these, you know, thoughts that she had thought around about 
And Jesus answered to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Uh, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. So he shifted the thought from the natural water to something spiritual. That's what he was doing. He shift, he's shifting her, trying to get her to shift her mind from the natural to spiritual. That's what he's doing right there. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So she wanted, okay, she, verse 15, she said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So she wanted what he was offering her because she realized, oh, I can get this water and I will never, ever have to march myself down here in the middle of the day by myself again, okay, and get this water out of this well. And so now that's an issue for people. A lot of people want what Jesus is saying to them, okay, but we're not seeing it from a bigger picture. We're just seeing, oh, I really want the Lord to do that for me because if he does, then I won't have to do this no more. I won't have to go over there no more. I won't have to put up with my husband's foolishness no more. You know, I won't have to put up with those people at work no more. But that's really not what he was saying to her. See, she had this thing in her that says, oh, I want what you got, but it was all about, it was a self-centered want. It was just all about, I won't have to walk half a mile or whatever and feel like I'm just this reject, nobody I'll be fine. I'll never have to come get water again. See, her, her view was limited. And I think most of us get that motivation, right? I mean, most of us want the Lord to do something in our life, right? Most of us are like, oh, God, please touch me. You know, oh, God, please move in our church until he shows up. Oh, God, please leave the church. <laughs> we wanted you to move, but we didn't realize when you said you were going to move, it was going to look like that. How can that be right? Isn't that right? Oh, God, please do something for me. Okay? And he starts doing it. Well, wait a minute. Now, I didn't bargain for that, Lord. Have you ever done that? I remember one day I was saying, Lord, please help me. I, I was in a desperate state. Please help me. The next day, God started helping me. And I was saying, what? what? Wait a minute. He said, will you ask me? I remember one time uh, the Lord said, Byron, I want to help you with your tongue. Oh, Lord, please help me with my tongue. I would just love it. The next day I was being rebuked by somebody for something I said. And I was trying to defend myself. And I heard this little word in my mind, but you said. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I did. I'm in trouble. Okay, let me take the medicine here. Because I did say, you know, I did say. And that's sort of the way it was with her. I want this living water, so I won't have to do this. But he was saying, has nothing to do with that. has nothing to do with that. And then Jesus said in verse 16, uh, Go, call your husband, and come back here. So at that point, Jesus was saying, Well, she's got this desire. I'm going to go, I'm go for something. I'm going to go for the thing in her life the fruit of the thing in her life that really is getting down to what the real issues in her life. And so at that point, the woman started getting a little bit more real all of a sudden. Uh, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
Well, she got real for a moment there, right? I don't got no husband. That's what she said. Uh, Jesus said, you have well said I have no husband. He agreed with her. For you have had five husbands. Now listen, a person that had five husbands, that doesn't mean that they've committed any wrong. Especially in that day when men, you know, there they was constant fights, there was disease. A lot of men would die. And so she, legitimately, she could have been literally married to five different men legally and legitimately. Okay, because when a woman in those days, when a woman lost her husband, her choices were very limited. She could do one of basically three things. One, she could marry another guy if there was another guy available. Two, she could become a prostitute. Or three, she could just be a beggar. That was the, their choices. So you start getting this picture of this woman who, in the best case scenario, she had five men, and every one of them died, got sick, died. Maybe one of them ran off on her. And every time she kept trying to do the right thing, because the choice to marry another man is better than being a prostitute or a beggar. But finally, she probably has run out of men, and, you know, the only guy she can get, he doesn't want to marry her. And probably that had something to do with her nobody wanting to have anything to do with her because, daggone, you went through five guys and now you're living with this dude. You know, right? You're living with this dude. So, and, but she was just trying to live. I'm just trying to survive. Your husband didn't die, but all five of mine are gone. And I'm just doing the best I can. I can either just live with this dude or I can go prostitute myself or I can get out in the streets and beg. And I think this is my best option. I did find this one guy who would take me in. doesn't make it right, right? But it sort of gives you a better picture of this person and the condition of their life. I mean, she, bank, she was pretty bankrupt spiritually. And, you know, the Lord really was wanting to, to reach this person. You know? Because that's really the way he is, is he wants to reach people who are bankrupt spiritually. He really does. And that's why I said I can really relate to this woman, because when I, he reached me, I was bankrupt spiritually. You know? And so it makes me, Lord, oh, I want to cringe that I don't ever want to become a person who looks down on somebody like this, because I'm looking, I would be looking down on myself and the way, way I was. And, but Christianity sort of shifts into this mode. I mean, you get to become a believer and you live following the Lord. You shift into this mode when you start looking down on people like that. Right? So, I mean, listen. We look down on homosexuals. Okay? But here's what the truth is. What do you expect a person in the world to do? They don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what we have to look at a person like, well, that's what people do without Jesus in their life. They become homosexuals. They're not terrible people. They're just people without God working in their life. And then we look on them with judgment and criticism. And we look on women who have abortions like that. And somehow that is not how the Father looks at them. And we're all guilty of that. Every one of us has been guilty of that at times. But that's not how he looks at them. He looks at them like he looked at me and said, I love that person. I created that person. I want that person. And I'm going to try to find a way to reach that person. 
I'm going to find a few people who don't look down on him, who care about him, who are going to pray for him. And there were two or three people in my life that were praying for me and that really loved me. Are y'all all right? So, so she, you've had five husbands, and the one you knew have is not your husband, and that you spoke tr- truly. Tell, you're telling the truth. I mean, don't you love how Jesus was? This is a great conversation that Jesus was having here. Then the woman said to him, uh, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> like, how would you know that unless you was a prophet? So I, I think you might just be a prophet. Okay, but it was a squirmy moment for her. So here's what she did. She got her theological, doctrinal book out at that moment. And she begins, our fathers, okay, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews, now this is crazy when you read it, say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Is that the craziest response in the world? Suddenly, let's have this theological discussion with this prophet who just told me some stuff. My heart, I felt it pricked. Suddenly this guy has said something to me. He knows about me, yet he's not running from me. So something about this guy. He's not rejecting me. Let's have a theological discussion. (laughs) And this is what I found out in my life. The hard way, and let me just say I'm finding it out the hard way, is we can have theological and doctrinal barriers against the Lord. We can believe stuff that may be truth, may be the truth, or it may be full of truth, or truth or partial truth, but it keeps us from Him. It keeps us from Him. It is a bad day when you ask the Lord, everything that I'm believing that's not from you, Please reveal it to me and take it out of my life. And your everything starts crumbling in your life about what you believe. It starts falling apart. And you begin to question what you believe. And you're wondering why. It's because you asked me. You asked me to do that. You had, met, you had so much mixture in what you believe. It's ruining you. It's destroying you. That's why I really encourage people like, you know, we need to have a life in the Word to find out what it says in there instead of coming up with things that we think it says or somebody else said it said instead of finding out for ourselves. I mean, that's kind of important. But we can have all kinds of spiritual walls that we put up that keep God from getting to our hearts. Let me tell you one that I had. This is a terrible thing to say. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. I had my pastor wall. And you know what the Lord told me one day? Oh, just stop being a pastor for a minute. Let me talk to you. That's what he said to me. And when he said that, I saw this wall around me, my pastor wall. And I realized that pastor wall. And here's what the pastor, you've got to be strong. You've got to get through. No matter what's happening, you've got to go. Everybody's depending on you. You've got to lead. No matter what's happening, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And you get with God. I've got to be strong. I've got to lead. I've got to keep going. I've, no matter what. And he said, stop. Just stop and get real with me for a minute. Get that wall down. Because as far as I'm concerned, you ain't pastoring me, Byron. I'm pastoring you. And I mean, honestly, that was a good moment in my life when he said that to me. It was a really good moment. 
Because at that moment, I was able to get get to some, some real stuff that was in me. That you know what I had done with that real stuff? I stuffed it to get through the moment. I stuffed it because I didn't have a choice. It's like a parent at a time. That parents, parents stuff stuff dealing with their kids. They stuff it, and they go on. But at some point, you've got to pull it back out in the presence of Jesus and let him make it right for you. Let him work through it for you. And so it could be anything, any kind of wall or your little theological wall that's keeping Jesus out of, out of your heart and keeping him from, from doing what he wants to do in your heart. You know, it's like some people are sick and their whole identity is wrapped up in their sickness. That's why Jesus asked the guy at the, at the thing, what they call it, the portico, Solomon's porch, when he says, do you want to be healed? The guy had been there. You know, when they'd stir the water, the angels would come stir the water. And Do you want to be healed? Well, every time the water stirred, somebody gets in before me. You know, he didn't answer Jesus' question, but Jesus asked him the right question because Jesus was trying to speak to his heart. The guy's identity was all tied up in being sick because once he was well, his life was going to change. He may not have been wanting to have to deal with a life as a whole person because he never dealt with it before. Maybe he was afraid to. Maybe he was afraid to deal with life as a whole person. So it was easier and better for him to say to stay disabled and sick because he knew how to do that. See, that's the way human beings think, right? Are y'all following this? I hope God's trying to tell you something this morning about the walls you have in your heart. I'm just throwing a few out here. There's many different kinds of, of walls. Um... I don't really want to go into all the that teaching on worship, but it was pretty powerful that woman got that teaching on worship. I love that. Maybe another time. In verse 25, the woman said to him, now she, she really, you know, they had this little discussion about worship, and so she pulled out the ultimate card on Jesus because she was feeling some stuff. She pulled this ultimate card on him. Well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And see, now that was a whole religious thing that she was doing right there. I, well, I know the Messiah is coming now. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. He will tell us everything. And then Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm the person. I am him. I'm him. The guy you are talking about coming, he's standing right here in front of your face talking to you, and you're avoiding me. You're hiding from me. It's what you're doing. I'm right here with you right now. And that was the first I am... I am he. And then at this point, his disciples came. Now, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. See, they were like, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? You know you can't do that. They were like amazed that he's having this conversation with a woman. Yet they didn't say nothing. They didn't say, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Okay, now I want you to put yourself there. I promise you that was a tense moment. Because they're sitting there thinking, you shouldn't be doing this, Jesus. What in the heck are you doing? I promise you, she felt the same thing that she had felt all her life. That rejection, that put down, that you don't belong coming off those guys. So at that point, she decides to exit the conversation. And you can't blame her. Like, you know what, I'm done with this because these guys, I'm not going to trust them. But 
she left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Now, Jesus said, Go get your husband. She went to the men, all of them, like, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Kind of an exaggeration, right? <laughs> he just talked to her about her married life. But as far as she was concerned at that moment, Jesus had read her life. And maybe there was other things in the conversation said. Or maybe as she's walked, she realized, this guy knows everything about me. He knows my deepest secrets. He knows me on my worst day. Yet, somehow or another, he didn't reject me. Or he didn't make me feel weird like those friends of his did <laughs> when they got back. And so she went and told him, this guy, there's something special about this man. There's really something special. See, come and see a man. Could this be the Christ? And, of course, we know the rest of the story. It says they went out of the city and came, came to Jesus. The whole bunch went out. That was the first woman preacher. That was the first woman preacher in the Bible. And that was her simple message. Her simple message, she had this encounter, a real encounter with Jesus. And he, walked, he went through that maze that she had built up and went through every one of those little places to get to her heart. To get to her heart. You know, and that's really how he wants, with every one of us, he wants to get to our hearts. He wants to get to us. And he goes around all these mazes, over walls, over any of crawl under, do whatever he can. And he will go, he will take you to no ends to do that. If you, if you are serious about a relationship with him, if, I mean if you're really serious, he will go to no ends to get you to that place. I think some of the things that we suffer in this world, some of the heartache and the tragedy that we go through, we don't really understand it. It's not that he causes it, but he looks at that thing and says, I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to work it into their lives. I'm going to work it in their lives to get so I can get to who they really are and that I can reveal myself to them. And they can begin to have this encounter with me and all their theology, all their religion, all their background, all their whatever, their, their business position, their successes, their failures, none of that. None of that. I'm going to crawl through all of it. And I will go to no ends to get to that place to get to your heart. I don't know about you, but that's the way the Lord is with me. And you know what? It's sometimes it is crushing. It's crushing when God begins to do that in your life. Because your life becomes unexplainable. Unexplainable. But you know there's this person there that's after something in you. He's after you. After your heart. I, I just want to say this. I remember when I was a young Christian, this guy giving this testimony, and his baby was dying, and this guy was, uh, you know, a successful kind of guy, you know, he looked successful, acted successful, talked successful, was a really good athlete and all this. And he told the Lord, I don't remember who the guy's name is, but this is what he told the Lord, Lord, I gave you my baseball career. And he had these things that he told the Lord he gave him, and now you want my baby. That's what he said to the Lord. The baby was dying. And the Lord said, I didn't want any of that stuff. I didn't want your baseball career. I wanted your heart. That's really all I wanted was your heart. I don't care about all your stuff. You, you know what? You could be wealthy beyond measure. You can do whatever it is that you have in your life that you value beyond anything else. God is saying today, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want you. 
I want you. I don't want your successful ministry, or I don't even want your sorry ministry. You know? I don't want either one of them. I don't want your money. I don't need you. Or if you're busted, I don't want your busted bank account. I'll help you with it, but I don't really want it. I want your heart. That's what I want in your life. I want your heart. I want you to give. I want you to open your heart up to me and really let me in there. And so uh, I wanted to read the Psalm uh, 56, verse 8. Uh you see, that, I don't even, that woman didn't value herself, obviously. Nobody valued her, but the Lord did. That's what grace really is. That's what the Father's love really is. That's what it really is. is to, for a person to begin to realize that, that God values me, God loves me, that I'm special to God, God cares about me deeply. And when I go somewhere where I don't feel value, when I don't feel secure, when I feel like I know He does it, I can always go back inside myself and say, these people around me may not value me. My circumstances may not value me, but you do. And I can trust you to get me through this moment of feeling rejected and feeling crummy again. But I can trust you to get me through it, because you do. But this Psalm 56, verse 8, in the New Living Translation says, You keep track of all my sorrows. Isn't that wonderful? It's like, look, I keep track with everyone. It's like he's got an iPad, sorry, Jackie, in heaven, that he's keeping all this down in little notes, every sorrow that you go through. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Can you imagine every, every time you've gone through something in your life that tears have come out of your eyes over, which I know are a lot, it's like the Holy Spirit sitting there with a little bottle collecting those tears collecting every one of them and holding them in this little bottle for a special moment in your life. You have recorded each one in your book. You know, it's like the Lord really sees all this and knows all this and it means something to Him. It means something to Him. And when we say, Lord, why, why did you let this happen? You couldn't understand it if I told you. You can't understand everything because you're human. So I can't tell you why I let these things happen that's happened to you. But trust me on this, there's probably a lot of things that could have happened to you that I did prevent that could have been a lot worse. And I'm going to take all these bad things and use them in your life to really help you. And I'm going to take those tears someday in your life and I'm going to take them and I'm going to pour them out on something that really is important to you. Okay? I'm going to take those tears that you shed and I'm going to pour them on something that means something to you, that's special to you, that's something that's more important to you than anything else. I'm going to take your tears. I'm going to pour them. It's going to bring life to that thing. And we have to believe that we have a God like that. We really do. And I believe that the Lord really wants to reach every one of us with His love like that. No matter what you've gone through, and no matter how you feel today about yourself, you know, God is really desperately trying to reach your heart and let you know, just like He did with this woman, let you know that you are somebody that's special to me. And you know what? This woman preached the gospel as the first woman preacher. A whole town of people got saved, you know, because, because she had an encounter with this person. And she went back and had a simple message to the people and they came and then they said well dang we're starting to believe now not just because of what you said but you opened the door you opened the door for us to believe amen isn't the Lord good 
and I want you, and I want me. I, do, I need it. I desperately need God to do something in my life. I desperately need I, I desperately need Him to help me. Every one of us in this room do, whether you realize it or not. We desperately need God. And it's, it's a good day when we cry out to God, just a simple, a simple cry, Lord, please help me. And you may not even be able to say, help me with this. You can just say, please, just help me, Lord, because I need you to help me. I just need help from heaven. That is a really good prayer to give God. Because I believe it's a prayer He always answers because He hears the cry of the distress, the Bible says, and He doesn't despise it. That's what it says. He hears the cry of the hurting and doesn't despise it. But I tell you, some prayers, I think He probably hears everything, but these some of these religious prayers and these haughty prayers and these bad attitudes that we have. He didn't, I don't know if he wants to answer that other than like, well, here, here's, you know, drink this bottle of called humility. <laughs> drink some more of that. Hmm. Why don't you just stand up and let me just pray for you right quick. Father, I just thank you this morning that, you're a, a, that you are love. That's who you are. And Jesus is grace, full of grace. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. That's how you want us to know you, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes and communicates to our heart these things. Lord, I pray for people in this room. I, I pray for the walls that we have, those invisible hidden, hidden walls that people in this room have in their life that are hindering you from getting to their heart. I pray, Father, somehow that you would begin to speak yeah. to people this morning about their walls. Yeah. And just tell them, like, uh, that's a good wall, but it really is hurting my relationship with you. What, whatever it is, Father, I just ask you to do that. Just ask you to release that on people right now. Lord, let people in this room know the real Jesus, the real character, the real Father. Lord, we're tired of that other version that's not really true about you that you are reaching out to us today, like you did this woman at the well, that you don't reject anybody in this room. Father, I pray for the lonely people in this room. I pray for the people who feel rejected. I pray for the people who feel that there's nobody there for them, and that no one cares for them, and they feel isolated, and they feel lonely, and they feel like they don't fit in. I pray for them, Lord. I pray today, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would speak to that in their heart that you would release that spirit of belonging, that spirit of adoption that draws them, that draws them into yourself, Lord. And they could get healing, and they could get deliverance, they could get free, Lord. Their life, their wounds, their hurts, Lord, that you could free them from all of that, free them to live as a son, a daughter, in glorious liberty, Lord, and can walk above, Lord, what the world says, what the church even says, God, what Christians have taught them, Lord, that we can walk above that, and we can find you and what you say and what you do above all the noise, that we would discover the true heart of God the Father. The true heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. The true ministry of the Holy Spirit. That we would discover it, Lord. I pray that for people in this room. Really, each one of them would be able to discover it, Lord. And Lord, we even take authority over our own walls. That you're, We just condemn walls in us. We just say, no! I refuse to live behind a wall that keeps me from Christ. Lord, let your healing virtue flow right now. Let your healing virtue flow right now. Thank you, Lord.